This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show. You are entering the Blaze Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the Buck Brief. Joined now by Jay Solomon. He's a reporter at the Wall Street Journal and author of the new book, The Iran Wars, Spy Games, Bank Battles, and the Secret Deals that Reshape the Middle East. Jay, great to have you. Great. Thanks. Good to be here. Uh, First, let's talk about this bombing of a uh, Coptic Christian church in Egypt. Killed 25 people on Sunday. Uh, The Islamic State, I believe, has claimed responsibility. That's the latest on this, right? What what, what can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, it just looks like... Egypt is is one of a long line of countries now that have have seen this kind of this Islamic state threat uh metastasize we've seen it obviously in Syria, Iraq, Libya and now uh in Egypt in a, in a much more pronounced um way than it, than it has been in the past normally this most of this violence had been the Islamic State presence had been up in the, up in the Sinai near the Israeli border, but these bombings of, of Christian churches is just more more of a sign of of how this how this cancer is really spreading in that region. And the the president there, the former general uh, Sisi, is, has really been launching a pretty aggressive uh, campaign against these groups. But they're they're still there and they're still very much active. Yeah, Egypt has been out of the headlines for a while after being obviously one of the the biggest news stories of the Arab Spring and then afterwards with the various changes in in government. Um, But they still have an active branch of the Islamic State in the Sinai Peninsula. They have uh, terrorist attacks that that are happening there, like this one against the Coptic Church. Uh, It does raise some interesting uh, policy questions about, well, how will this be handled by a Trump administration? I see you've written a piece it says that Egypt is hoping for warmer U.S.-Russia ties because of the implications that will have for counterterrorism, for the counterterrorism fight. Yeah, Egypt, I mean, to, to be honest, too, even back to the Bush administration, Egypt has had a pretty bumpy relationship with Washington over the past 10 years. George W. Bush really was pushing hard for democracy agenda and um, kind of butted heads with then strongman Hosni Mubarak. Uh, ironically, President Obama, when he took power, kind of toned down that that agenda that Obama that Bush was was presenting itself. But then you had the uprising there in uh, 2011, and first uh, an Islamist government took over the Muslim Brotherhood, and then there was essentially a counter movement led by the the, the current president Sisi. And that relations between Washington and, and Cairo have been have been kind of rocky since then. We suspended the United States suspended some military assistance to. Um, General Sisi's government, and it really shows kind of the tensions in the region because the Egyptian government describes this, you know, really as a counterterrorism threat that their country is under siege. You know, how can you not be serious about um, helping us support this 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 threat? And they've kind of started, like a lot of countries, as the U.S. has pulled back, have, have looked to Russia as as a country that can 
be more sympathetic and less willing to talk about human rights or issues like that. And we've seen a lot more Russian troop um, military exercises with with the Egyptian government. And it's, you know, President-elect Obama has given a pretty mixed message. On the one hand, he says he doesn't want to get involved in nation building or playing much of a, a role in the Middle East. And he's been very critical of the Iraq war. But at the same time, he's he's kind of just tried to define himself as you know, going to fight ISIS. He's willing to ally with the Russians more closely to do it. So I think that's why you see this hopeful kind of message coming out of, of Egypt. And, and that was displayed by, through this interview I did with their foreign minister. Now, you, there's also a piece here where you're one of the co-authors. Senate, uh, this is on the Wall Street Journal, wallstreetjournal.com for everybody listening. Senate joins House in approving extension of Iran sanctions. What's the latest here? Yeah, I mean, there's there's something called the Iran Sanctions Act, which has essentially been in place since more than 10 years. And it, it basically has a, a list of measures the U.S. government can take if they so choose. It doesn't, want to ma- it doesn't mandate it, but it, it puts it out there. And it was the U.S., but the Senate and the House agreed to extend this legislation for another 10 years, which immediately caused the Iranians to go ballistic and say that the U.S. was now in violation of the nuclear agreement that went into effect earlier this year. They promptly announced that they were going to start building uh, nuclear-powered submarines and and other type of naval uh, warships, and that it was going to be fueled by their own um, nuclear power. It was kind of a vague, but it, this whole episode shows how um, un, unsolidified the nuclear agreement is after only after a year that it's been in place, and, and President Trump has been pretty critical of it. So it, it, it's another raising another question mark of what's going to happen in that region. What do you expect from a Trump administration going into the nuclear deal? I mean, is it is it going to be too hard for them to just scrap the whole thing? What's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't get the sense that President-elect Trump is going to want to come in on day one and just tear the deal up. It's There's a lot of diplomatic issues at stake. There's also, even on Iran, there's been a bit of a mixed messaging coming out of the people he's been appointing. Trump's on the one hand, said he's against the deal, and others has said, you know, why, why are we not doing business with Iran when all these other countries are doing it now? And I know the, the, the man he selected to be the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, is not kind of a big supporter of sanctions, but at the same time, a lot of these guys now, and the, his, his, the new Pentagon chief, the, the CIA chief, are extremely hawkish on Iran. I think the more likely scenario is you're going to see the Trump administration really push back on Iranian actions in the region and in the Gulf and other countries and, and enforce that nuclear agreement much more vigorously than Obama has. And I think that could breed a crisis because even this this passage of these new sanctions, it's, it's largely ceremonial and it brought back this type of response. If the U.S. really does start imposing new sanctions on Iran, which some, some in the Trump camp have been talking about, I, I think there, there's a real risk that the the um, Iranians will escalate and threat, threat to pull out of the deal. As for Rex Tillerson as as uh, Secretary of State, people keep talking about his Russia ties and the problems posed by his Russia ties. Can you give us some sense of what is what are those Russia ties and, and what are some of the deals that he's been involved in that have given everyone, uh, not everyone, but have given people this mo- sort of moment of pause as uh, as he's been announced as the Secretary of State picked by Trump? 
I mean, he just did a, as head of Exxon, he did a lot of, of business deals in, in Russia. He got a big award from Vladimir Putin a few years ago. There's oil fields kind of in way eastern Russia, over, almost above North Korea, called the Sakhalin Fields that Exxon has has partnered with Russia. Um, there's a company called Rosneft, which the U.S. has sanctioned since the um, annexation of Crimea, sanctioned its CEO, and Tillerson did a lot of business with them. So there's there's just a very kind of deep relationship between uh, Mr. Tillerson and Rush, not just Putin, but also companies that the U.S. have sanctioned in recent years because of the Ukrainian issue. And it, you know, it raises questions as how is he going to kind of disentangle himself? Is he going to be willing to push sanctions against Russia when it would hurt businesses that ExxonMobil is in, even if he kind of takes a step back? So, I mean, he does have... He and Exxon had a lot, a lot of business dealings, not just in Russia, but with entities that have been sanctioned by the United States. And it does raise questions like, how is he going to navigate that if he's suddenly in charge of, of a policy with Russia at a time when Russia really is, as we're seeing in Syria right now, kind of defying the, the Western world and, and pursuing its own interests and really pursuing it, it's a, a greater role in the, in the Middle East and, and Eastern Europe. Any? Uh, do, do you give any credibility to the, well, he'll put up Tillerson, and if there's too much heat, he's got somebody in the wings that he really wants, or is that too conspiratorial for your, for your I thinking? I think that's too conspiratorial. We've been doing this run around now for three weeks. I can't imagine after that he hasn't finally said, all right, this is, this is the guy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a bit too much of a kabuki dance. I think you yeah. put him out and there. And Mitt, Mitt Romney went on Facebook, and, you know, once it's on Facebook, it's, it's official now. That's kind, of the way, that's kind of the way that works in this day and age. Um, yeah. Just could you get, talk, tell us a little bit about, about your book, The Iran Wars, Spy Games, Bank Battles, and the Secret Deals that Reshaped the Middle East. I mean, what are some of the, the, either the main issues, main revelations that, that you deal with in the book, and, and what will people get out of reading it? You know, it's really like it's a kind of a narrative of the U.S. Iranian conflict since since September 11th. Obviously, U.S. relations with Iran have been bumpy since the revolution there in 1979 and the overthrow of the Shah, who was the closest ally of the U.S. at the time. I think the main takeaways are just how much financial pain the United States inflicted on Iran going from basically 2006 through the nuclear negotiation last year and really raising the issue of did we sort of let them off the hook, you know? Why did we decide to pull back um, pressuring in Iran when the agreement that was eventually reached does basically give Iran an industrial-scale nuclear program eventually in, in 10 years? And it also it raises questions about just how obsessed Obama was with, with the Iran track and as you may recall, there was this huge uprising in 2009 uh, called the Green Movement when millions of Iranians took to the streets. And Obama basically did not lend almost any support to the Iranian uprising when he did to the Egyptian one. And I think the book outlines that he had already started to make these overtures to the supreme leader of Iran, the Ayatollahs, that we can reach some of agreement. And that impacted his thinking on, on whether to support the, the Green Movement. And I think also Syria as kind of the, the big tragedy of the last decade. You know, he was, Iran, he was so engaged in this negotiation with Iran. At the same time, he was talking about enforcing red lines against the Syrian regime, basically punishing them for using chemical weapons. And in the end, he 
he didn't follow through with any of that. And I, the book really shows that the negotiations, what the communications he was having with the Iranians were basically saying, you know, you can't target the Assad regime, the Syrian regime as our closest ally. I think those three, those three issues, whether we let them off the hook, did we sacrifice the, the democracy movement in Iran? And did we, are we basically complicit in what happens in Syria? I think those are probably the three biggest takeaways from the book. One of the questions that I think often comes up when people talk about Iran, and this is going to be essential going forward so that the Trump administration knows what it's doing. Well, that's an open question in itself, but knows what it's doing in, in dealing with Iran. Will, will come about with what is the real nature of the Iranian regime? I mean, there seems to be quite a spectrum from, you know, a lot of sort of public noise about America and Israel as, you know, great Satan, little Satan, and that's for domestic political consumption. Uh, but really, they're pretty rational actors in their own way to, oh, no, they're they're like end of world, willing to have a nuclear exchange with Israel. The Guardian Council has got a bunch of nut jobs on it. I mean, w- w- from your research and your reading about the Iranian regime, especially post 9-11, where, where do you put them on the spectrum? I mean, it's a, it's a totally split government. I mean, that, that's the real problem. You've got the supreme leader who's basically the pope and the commander-in-chief all wrapped in one, really in charge of that country. And he has this essentially a Praetorian guard called the Revolutionary Guards that are directly under his under his writ and, and basically control not just the military and the security forces, but the most of the big companies in that country. And then you have the... The president and the foreign minister, who are pretty, ra- you know, they come across as pretty rational actors. The foreign minister spent decades in the United States, so it's a very split, split nature. And in the negotiations, the U.S. was very much dealing with this, the more rational actor. But at the end of the day, it's the supreme leader that really calls the shots. And despite the agreement and the hope that it would somehow build better relations, it really hasn't happened yet. I mean, the Iranians are very aggressive now in, in what we're seeing in Syria with basically trying to knock out the U.S.-backed rebel groups in, in the northern parts of Syria. They're very active in arming a group in Yemen that's fighting the U.S.-Saudi uh, alliance in, in, in that country. They're still funding Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, these groups in, that are fighting Israel. So, you know, despite the rational talk, there are actual policies in the in the in that region have not changed essentially at all. Yeah, I was going to ask you: Can you point deal. to one place post Iran deal where the Iranians, other for, for putting aside the specifics of the nuclear program for a second, where the Iranians have even had a, a lighter touch uh, in the Middle East and and in their actions vis-a-vis all these different uh, militant groups? Not one. They've probably gotten more aggressive. They certainly have in Syria. They certainly have in Yemen. Uh, so I think, yeah, they've they've basically just continued how they were. And internally, they haven't loosened up at all either. I mean, the, the number of dual national, whether they're Americans or Euro- Europeans that have been arrested in there over the past year has actually grown. Uh, dis- uh, internal dissent has been, continues to be quashed. So I think the concern is you've, you've got an agreement where the Iranians did kind of restrain their program if it works for about a decade, if it, if, if it doesn't, it's less. But the sanctions have been repealed. We've given billions of dollars of cash, and you, and you risk kind of entrenching that hardline element of the government that has shown no sense or desire to, to moderate itself. Jay Solomon's a reporter at The Wall Street Journal. You can read his latest at uh, WSJ.com. And he's also the author of The Iran Wars, Spy Games, Bank Battles, and The Secret Deals That Reshape the Middle East. 
Jay Solomon, great to have you. Come back soon. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. The Buck Sexton Show. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 